Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Anakor, and on this episode, we'll talk about what to look forward to from Cells and Circuits in 2023. We'll also talk about why we're winding down on Apple content. Then after that, we'll give a eulogy for Google Stadia. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I'm Chibeze Anakor. If you have been here from the beginning, I just want to say thank you. If you've been here before and are coming back, I'm just going to say welcome back and thanks for sticking with me or and thanks for coming back and listening. And if you're listening for the first time, once again, welcome. So... I just want to talk about what to look forward to from Cells and Circuits in 2023. Since I'm coming back to the podcast after going on hiatus since 2021, the late 2021, I want to, or I want to you know, hit the ground running and just try and make the show better um, and make the content better. So in order to do that, I have to, or in order to do that, I want to expand the content that I make. So the first thing that I want to do is expand into video content. I want to do live streams, both gaming and non-gaming live streams. I want to do some YouTube videos or some pre-recorded YouTube videos. And then I also want to do some video episodes of the podcast, mainly when I do video episodes, I want them to be those episodes that have guests on them. So, so you can see both my face and the guest's face. So, um, that's, that's kind of the idea of or what, con- or what types of content that want to or that I want to expand into. So, um, and so one of those aspects is gaming content. So I want to do some more gaming focused content and I want to do so on both Twitch and YouTube. So I definitely want to do some live streams. Um, I actually launched a gaming channel on YouTube. Um, and if you missed our first live stream, it was the farewell stream for Google Stadia. Cause as you know, um, Stadia just recently shut down 
um, almost 24 hours ago as I'm recording this. So, so it was a bittersweet way to launch the channel, but that's just how things played out. So, um, if you missed the Stadia farewell stream, I definitely played a few exclusive Stadia games like Worm Game, um, which was the uh, testing game, um, which I'll talk more about um, in a later segment in this episode. Um, I also played Outcasters, which unfortunately isn't going to be ported to other platforms just because it's um it's just um highly um in tune with how stadia worked at as a platform so um so that's that's pretty unfortunate um and then i also played some pixel junk raiders and some Pac-Man Mega Tunnel battles, so um, I definitely wanted to highlight um, all of Stadia's exclusive games in that particular live stream, but um, or because that was the only chance that I had to do that with the new channel, and so I didn't want to pass that up. Um, but I want to do some more gaming live streams, um, particularly like PC gaming, um, maybe some more cloud gaming. If you want that, um, I'd be more than happy to do that. Um, I also want to get into, um, some YouTube videos about gaming, um, or some pre-recorded YouTube videos about gaming so I may do um, a couple of those um, we'll see if or we'll see if that happens and how that's going to play out but I definitely want to um, get more into gaming content because I think that's I think that's a lot of fun um, and then Next up is the podcast YouTube channel. So I also create, or in addition to the gaming channel, I also created a separate YouTube channel for the podcast that you're listening to right now. Um, so over there, we have all of the episodes or every full episode. Um, and then from now on, um, I'll also try and post some clips as either YouTube shorts or Instagram reels or things like that to try and um, get some content out to more and more platforms. So definitely uh, keep an eye out on our YouTube channel, our podcast YouTube channel, um, our gaming YouTube channel, um, and of course the main channel. I'll have links to all of those in the show notes. And last but not least, um, the main channel. I want to turn that into um, a place where I have 
videos that just talk about animation and tech. I don't know if that's going to um, be in the form of pre-recorded YouTube videos that I just edit down or if that takes the form of live streams where I just talk about certain topics. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Um, I'm still working through all of this, so bear with me. But yeah, that's kind of a rough idea of what to look forward to from Cells and Circuits in 2023. Let me know what kind of content you want to see or hear from Cells and Circuits. I definitely would be interested in that. Um, you could you could follow me or you could follow Cells and Circuits on social media. I mean, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we also joined Mastodon. So if you're on there, uh, we are also on there. Um, so give us a follow there. Um, and yeah, uh, let me know what kinds of content you want to see or hear. Um, and I could do my best to get to it. But yeah, that's about it for this segment. And I will catch you in the next segment um, in a little bit. Up next, we'll get into why we're winding down on Apple content. And then after that, we'll get into a eulogy for Google Stadia. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. All right, so welcome back. Um, now we're going to talk about why we're winding down Apple content. So Apple is a company that has done wonders for the tech industry. They have made great products. They've made fantastic um, user interfaces. They've made or they've push the boundaries of what of like design um, and also uh, user experience like they've just been on top of, or they've just been like a trendsetter they've been or they've done a lot for the tech industry um, I don't think the tech industry would be where it is today in some way, shape, or form without Apple's help. With that being said, I do think that Apple does engage in some, quite frankly, kind of evil process, or um, evil um, business practices, and... One of those is ecosystem lock-in. So for those of you who don't know, ecosystem lock-in is where a company tries to get you to 
only use their products and services by making or by building features in to make you want to stay in that in that ecosystem or even excluding some features um, to make you stay in that ecosystem and specifically um, one thing Apple has lacked is support for uh, newer messaging standards and of course I mean RCS RCS is rich communication services which is kind of the next level of SMS which has been around for like you know more than two decades I want to say maybe even three decades um, don't quote me on that um, but but SMS has been around for decades and it's quite old for the smartphone era so I do think that Apple should support RCS but they're but they don't and the reason why they don't is because Apple benefits from from making sure that um, people who have Android phones get bullied enough into switching to an iPhone and that doesn't sit very well with me um and i'm not and i'm not here like you know capping for google or anything so so don't don't even uh think about that but it just it doesn't sit well with me that or that a company that is, or that a company as big as Apple um, and as influential as Apple, or it doesn't sit well with me that I've, you know, in some way, shape, or form, you know, kind of like talked about how, you know, or how or talked about their products and you know try to like get pretty excited for what they mean for the tech industry i i just i can't really see myself doing that knowing what apple has done for global communication which is like they've made it worse by not or by choosing at this point not to build in RCS support into iMessage because iMessage is is the default messaging protocol for Apple devices and then if if you're an iPhone user who is trying to talk to someone who doesn't have an iPhone, who either has an Android phone or like some burner phone or something like that, 
they automatically switch you to SMS, which, like I said earlier, is a decades-old um, is a decades-old standard, um, and just doesn't really work very well in the smartphone era. So, oh, and it's unsecured. Um, so, like any government entity or um, or others who may want to snoop in on your texts could actually read or could intercept your texts um, but but um, as far as RCS goes at least the way Google has implemented it um, there is end-to-end -end encryption which brings it up to par with iMessage in terms of in terms of privacy and security and Apple um, as people know has been making a big deal as to as to their privacy and security on iPhones when compared to Android phones but they leave texts um, to people without iPhones unsecured, so that kind of that kind of goes against their messaging, and so I just it doesn't feel right to me hyping up products from a company that is in some way responsible for for like for ending friendships or um, ending potent or potential romantic relationships because one party doesn't have an iPhone or um, or like a group doesn't want to include the person with an Android phone in their group chats. Um, and it's just, like, I just can't, in good conscience, um, talk about Apple devices or, and, you know, try and get hyped for Apple devices and services when they're out here making global communication worse by choosing not to build in RCS support into iMessage and like now I I get it from a business standpoint like it makes sense but people say that Apple wants to um to be looked at for its for the good that it's contributed to society well i mean by making global communication worse that negatively impacts society like people bully each other um you know people miss out on friendships relationships even job opportunities. Um, and so, 
Yeah, I I just I just don't think it's a good idea or I just don't feel right talking about Apple products and services and giving them more publicity when when they're actively making global communication worse. I just I can't do it. But let me know what you think. Um, oh, I should also mention that, like, it's even happened to me. Um, I was excluded from a work group chat um, on a business trip one time because I had an Android phone, so I wasn't included. Um, so... And that's another thing. Like, why would I get excited about a company that has wronged me personally? Um, so, yeah, that's a or that's another reason why I'm I'm just or I I just can't see myself just talking about Apple products and giving them more publicity because I don't think that. A company that's actively making global communication worse deserves that. But let me know what you think. Um, are you somebody who wants RCS? Or are you somebody who like doesn't care because you're outside of the U.S. and uh, like you use you know Telegram or WhatsApp or or whatever, um, let me know what you think on social media or on Discord or or however you can. Um, definitely let me know, and I will see you in the next segment. Coming up next is a eulogy for Google Stadia. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. All right, so let's get into probably the hardest segment that I had to do this week. And of course, it's a eulogy for Google Stadia. Now, Stadia shut down less than 48 hours ago at the time of this recording. And I'm not going to lie, cloud gaming already feels different. It feels like it's lacking in certain areas. But I would say that cloud gaming wouldn't be where it is today without Stadia. It wouldn't it wouldn't be where you have GeForce now boasting 4K 240 frames per second with um or with Nvidia Reflex. You wouldn't have any of that and I don't, or in fact, 
I'm not even sure if GeForce now would have gotten out of beta if it weren't for Stadia. And then as far as Xbox Cloud Gaming and Amazon Luna, I'm not even sure if those two would have launched if Stadia hadn't come to market. Now, I do wish they didn't rush it, but we'll get to that later. Um, And so you have Stadia to thank for for where cloud gaming is today in a large part. They're not completely to thank for it, but a huge part of that is thanks to Stadia and the team behind it because they are very good human beings. And, you know, for those, and for those who just got affected by the Google layoffs, my heart goes out to you. I hope you find new work. Um, and that goes for not just anyone who worked on Stadia, but everyone at Google who who was affected by the layoffs. All right. So let's, let's get into, let's actually start with the bad, um, that stadia, or let's start with the bad things about stadia because there are quite a lot of them, uh, unfortunately, which is part of the reason why we got to this point. Um, the first thing I want to uh, mention is, you know, probably the most obvious, um, and I would say is the marketing. Okay, maybe the second most obvious. The next point I'm going to make is going to be the most obvious, but the marketing was pretty bad, especially at launch with all uh, those Reggie Watts commercials, which were kind of just, uh, they were kind of cringe. Um, and then also there was a lack of targeted advertising. Like how does the company that owns YouTube not do any targeted advertising for their cloud gaming platform like that that just blows my mind um and then also the lack of just the lack of a bigger push when people or when it was very hard to get access to consoles that was that was like the perfect storm or that was a perfect situation for Google to just ramp up their marketing, ramp up everything in regards to Stadia, but they didn't like that was a situation that could have helped Stadia immensely, like especially with or for example, with Cyberpunk 2077, Stadia was one of the only places where it ran with very, or I wouldn't say very little bugs, but less bugs than 
certainly a PS4 or an Xbox One. Um, and that's for people who couldn't even get their hands on on the Xbox Series X or a PS5, which was a lot of people. And so Stadia, that was a clear moment for uh, or for Stadia to have built upon, but they didn't. In fact, they went in the opposite direction and instead closed down their first party studios. And I mean, at that point, like that was probably the beginning of the end. Um, but, but yeah, um, I mean, I've just gone off on a tangent, but yeah, the marketing was just not there. Um, and now the most obvious problem when it came to Stadia was the lack of content that people wanted to play or the lack of games that people wanted to play. They couldn't secure enough big AAA games. Um, like we're talking about the Fortnites, the Call of Duties, the um, the NBA 2Ks. Even though they had NBA 2K, I believe the first year, but the port was just atrocious. Um, and then what else? Um, like the Maddens. I can't say the FIFAs because Stadia did have FIFA. Um, but you get the idea. Um, the Apex Legends, like just, it didn't have any of those games. And that is unfortunate. I do think that if Google had sunk the money into trying to get those games on the platform, I think it would have helped quite a bit. Um, and especially marketing it to people who only buy consoles to play games like, you know, 2k, um, FIFA, Madden, you know, things like that games that have like yearly releases. So I do think that not securing enough big AAA games definitely hurt Stadia. Um, and then also, it couldn't secure enough popular indies. Like, there were even some indies that that I was surprised to see on something like Amazon Luna that weren't on Stadia. And so... That was definitely, or I think that was also something that that kind of hurt Stadia. And then on top of that, um, there's also the Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda. Like we can't sit here and say that that didn't hurt Stadia, because I mean, ever since Microsoft did buy out Bethesda. I mean, they released two games that were supposed to be on, or that could have been on Stadia, but weren't because Microsoft chose not to put them there and chose to keep them 
on their own cloud gaming service, Xbox Cloud Gaming. I mean, did Deathloop come to Stadia? No. Did Quake Remastered come to Stadia? No. So we can't sit here and say that the Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda didn't affect Stadia at all. Because it did. It did. And that's part of the reason why they're going or Google's going to the FTC. Um, in or in objection to Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard or their pending acquisition of Activision Blizzard, excuse me. And so, yeah, I don't think, um, or I don't think the Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda helped Stadia at all. Um, it made things worse. It, it basically took away one of Stadia's biggest partners. And that... And that honestly sucks. Um, but but we'll but we'll move on. Um, I also think that Stadia Pro was kind of a weakness. It was fine for me. I enjoyed Stadia Pro, but I mean, in this climate where Game Pass exists, it's hard to compete against that. I mean, hell, even Sony is struggling to compete against Game Pass uh, with PlayStation Plus. So, I mean, a cloud gaming platform that lacked a lot of the content that people wanted to play anyway, I mean, kind of had no chance against something like Game Pass um, or Stadia Pro just kind of had no chance against something like Game Pass. Um, and then also, or like I said before, it lacked engaging content. Um, it was fine for me. I like more indie games than AAA games, but I can understand why people didn't. And so I do think that, or I do think that Stadia Pro was kind of a weakness for them, at least the way that they handled it. Now, another thing that was pretty bad um, about Stadia was the failure to control the narrative. A lot of times, gaming journalists and influencers were left to run with their own narratives about Stadia that Google just didn't even bother to try and correct, which is a problem because those journalists and influencers have influence on people. And you would think that a trillion dollar company would you know, be trying to get ahead of that, but that's just not, or that just wasn't the case. And I don't think that that helped Stadia at all. Um, and one, one big example of this was that, um, right before Stadia launched, 
like gaming journalists and uh or yeah gaming journalists were trying to say that net or stadia was going to be the netflix of games which google never said that it was going to be the netflix of games but also never really corrected that kind of misinformation so i mean that or that just wasn't or that just didn't help that stadia or that google didn't try and control the narrative when it came to stadia i think if they did i think if they did um there would have been a lot less there would have been or some of the bad publicity would have stung a bit less you know um and so next up um I think one of the bad things about Stadia was the leadership. I think hiring Phil Harrison to lead cloud gaming efforts after previous failures like the Xbox One launch and the PS3 launch was definitely not a good idea, um, to say the least. And I don't think that I would be alone in saying that. I think many people in the gaming community would agree with that. Um, I didn't know who Phil Harrison was when Google um, first announced Stadia to the public. So I had no idea that he had like all of those failures under his belt. But besides that... um, I also think that one instance of a higher up at um, at Stadia Games and Entertainment, which was Google's first party studio for Stadia um, before it shut down back in 2021, um, one of them um, is, or one of them, he uh, tweeted that uh, streamers would need to get a paid license from a developer to uh, stream their games onto YouTube or Twitch. And I can't, and I can't understate, or I can't say how, how much this affected Stadia in the public eye, but excuse me. I do think that <laughs> I do think that it didn't help um for a platform that people already wanted to see die um like it it definitely didn't help um it only validated those opinions that like yeah maybe we'd be better off without stadia um because the people who work there you know, have these ridiculous ideas about how streamers and how, or how streamers and developers, um, have their relationships. And so, yeah, I like that, that was just a huge, 
that was a huge PR disaster um, that didn't need to happen. And that was even during a Stadia event. So, yeah, that was that was a mess. Um, but anyway, um, last but not least, I do want to mention that um, Google being Google was definitely a hindrance upon Stadia. Um, Google didn't believe enough in Stadia to invest enough capital and resources into it, despite being a trillion dollar company. It never seemed like they were fully in it. Um, and, and Google knew that it was a tough or that gaming is a cutthroat business. And the moment things didn't go swimmingly for them, like, you know, players didn't line up to go sign up uh, for Stadia or like all the bad PR, um, like all the uh, first party studios shutting down like that or like they just folded and just didn't want or they just folded and gave up like I don't know why why or why would you even attempt to get into gaming if you know it's cutthroat and you know you wouldn't invest in it in the long run why even do it at that point. <sighs> anyway, um, also just, there was also a lack of collaboration with other teams at Google. Um, I do think that Stadia was, or the Stadia team was kind of sequestered off from other parts of Google. I may be wrong about this. There were some occasional um, team ups with other teams such as like the Android TV team and um, and the YouTube team obviously but there were just so many other tie-ins into the Google ecosystem that they could have had like they could have they could have had Google Meet integration where your Stadia feed would show up in Google Meet and also broadcast it onto YouTube so you could have a or so you could have camera and the stream uh, going on like that would or that would be or that would have been amazing. Um, and then never got Google Drive integration for your captures and stuff like that. Never got YouTube music integration for you to listen to music while you play your games. And there was a lack of Stadia presence at Google events after 2020. And so, yeah, Google being Google was just... Um, 
was definitely a hindrance on Stadia's life. Um, and it definitely held held Stadia back from uh, reaching its true potential. And so those are all of the things that I think went wrong with Stadia. Of course, let me know what you think went wrong. Um, there were, I mean, I would say, or one thing that people also say went wrong was the business model, which I just don't agree with. People said that, you know, or there are certain like journalists and, and even some regular people that say that Stadia's pricing model was too confusing, which I just do not agree with. It's basically the same pricing structure as Amazon Prime Video, where you can, or I mean, it has a free tier, which is Amazon Freebie. Um, you could buy, you could buy shows and movies a la carte, or you could subscribe to Prime Video and get certain shows and movies in that subscription. I mean, doesn't that sound familiar? It should, because that's exactly how Stadia operated. Um, and so I don't think that the uh, business model was bad. Now, sure, you could make the argument about, you know, paying full price for streaming only games, but what other platform offers the features that Stadia did, um, which I will get to when we get to the good um, parts of Stadia. Like, there's no other heart or there's no hardware based platform that offers the same amount of features that Stadia did. But, um, but we can actually or that would actually be a good segue into the good. Um, and so like one of the things that Stadia did well was it offered unique social features in games like state share where you could, um, or where you could take a screenshot and then, um, and then someone can play from that exact moment where you took that screenshot and continue the game. It's like playing someone else's save file, which I think that's pretty cool. Um, and then also their stream connect, which you can view other people's uh, screens in the game. So you can see from other people's point of view, which definitely helps in things like first person shooters and things like that. It can help you develop plans, you know, to like kill enemies and stuff like that. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. Um, and then there's crowd play, which is, or which allows you to play with your audience on YouTube. If you're a streamer, um, and then crowd choice allows the audience of a stream on YouTube 
to decide what uh, choices happen in the in the streamers game. And then, of course, there's direct streaming to YouTube itself. And so none of those features, correct me if I'm wrong, none of those features are on any hardware-based platform. So with that in mind, like paying for a streaming-only game kind of makes sense because... Because, like, there are no other, or there's not a one-to-one, or the, I should say, Stadia had exclusive features that hardware-based platforms just couldn't really do at the moment. Now, maybe one day we could get some of these features in hardware-based platforms, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. And so that's one good thing that Stadia offered, Um, like, or that's one point, Um, like all of the social features, like it democratized streaming um, to YouTube, like anyone could become a streamer, like you could use your Chromebook to stream. (laughs) And I think that's awesome. Um, But another thing is Google Stadia offered a very convenient way to play games. Um, There were no downloads, no updates, and you could just click a link and within seconds you're in the game. I thought that was amazing. It, It shaved off like probably hours, if not days out of my life just waiting for downloads and updates. So, so kudos to you, Stadia. I think you did an amazing job with that. Like the user experience was absolutely seamless. And I think that's amazing. Um, which brings me, which brings me to my next point. Um, one of the good things about Stadia was that it's Linux based. Now, some people may see this as a weakness, which I get like um, for many developers working with a Linux based platform was something they hadn't done before. So. So I could understand that, but from but I could also look at it from Google's perspective where it allowed Google to build features into Stadia more easily Um And then also it kept costs down by not having to pursue Windows licenses because Windows is not free. Like it's probably a hundred dollars per, um, uh, per license. And I mean, for businesses, it's probably cheaper than that. But when you start, gaining users in the thousands, those costs add up very quickly. So, so I'm glad that they went the Linux route and kept costs down. Um, but next up, um, 
I think because it was Linux based, it had consistently strong performance. Um, Stadia was one of the first cloud gaming uh, platforms to offer streams up to 4K at 60 frames per second. And, and also there was, or when you got into a game and whether the performance was good or bad, it was consistent across games. So if you, if you went and played a game and the experience was laggy or, or the or like you had some pixelation or you had audio issues, you would probably have those no matter which game that you played on Stadia, which, which I mean, yeah, it sucks, but at least you know what to expect. And that's something that even Xbox cloud gaming struggles with is consistency. Um, when I play certain games on Xbox cloud gaming. Like I could have a great experience playing something like Forza horizon five, but then when I play something like high on life or, um, or maybe, um, or something else, like I could have pixelation or screen tearing or other issues. And that's just, or, I mean, that just takes away from the experience, in my opinion. But to each, uh, to each their own. Um. Now the next one um is hardware based, which is the Stadia controller. It was very ergonomic and it had very familiar controls for console players, like all of the buttons were or most of the buttons were reminiscent of the Xbox buttons where it had ABXY and, um, and the left and right bumper and the left and right trigger. Um, but also the, uh, PlayStation controller where the, um, where the analog sticks were parallel rather than offset where you had L1 and L2 instead of LB and LT. Um, and then same thing with, um, or I feel like it was like if an Xbox controller and a PlayStation controller kind of had a baby, um, I think that was the Stadia controller and it felt very good in the hand. Um, it was just, an awesome controller. Um, now I do wish that it had, you know, more advanced features like, you know, dual sense like features, but, or I also wish that the vibration motor was stronger, but I mean, those are, Oh, and also I wish it had better battery life, but other than those three things, like that's pretty much, or those are pretty much the only complaints that I had about the Stadia controller. It's an excellent controller otherwise. And now 
The next thing I want to talk about is the versatility of Stadia. You could bring, or you didn't even have to um, get the Stadia controller. You could bring your own controller, like, um, or like an Xbox controller or a PlayStation controller. You could also bring your own keyboard and mouse because Stadia had keyboard and mouse support at launch. So you could play that way if you wanted to. You could even use the Xbox Adaptive Controller, which was great for people with disabilities. Um, and, And it was just so flexible that it worked across many different operating systems like Android, iOS... Chrome OS, Windows, Linux. Now, Linux couldn't do 4K, but other than that, I mean, I mean, you could pretty much do anything or you could pretty much do anything on any OS. Um, And I think that was one of Stadia's biggest strengths was that you could do or that you could play on any device that you owned and or regardless of the specs. And I think that really, um, and that's kind of just the beauty of cloud gaming in general. Um, and I think other, um, other platforms will definitely carry on that legacy. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about was, of course, the ability to buy games. Um, Now, yes, this is something that GeForce Now allows you to do. Well, I mean, you have to buy games off of other platforms and then access them through GeForce Now. But regardless, um, you could still do that with GeForce Now. But Stadia had I think probably the best implementation of it where like it was its own store and you could or once you bought it off the state once you bought a game off the Stadia store you could play it immediately um once that or once that uh, purchase goes through, you could play the game immediately. And I think that's awesome because again, no downloads, no updates. So I think that was, or I think that's awesome. Um, I hope that, um, I hope that Xbox cloud gaming will allow you to um, play games that you've purchased on the Xbox store, Um, But until then, I am glad that Stadia allowed you to purchase games and play them like almost anywhere. Um, And then last but not least, one of the best things about Stadia was the Stadia team. You could easily tell or for those who played on Stadia, you could tell that. A lot of work went into it. A lot of a lot of passion went into it. From everything to 
or from everything to the UX or the user experience, the the design of the controllers, the um, just or just the seamlessness of of everything. You could tell that a lot of a lot of love and care went into it and it sucks that all of that effort is now is now basically gone but I'm glad it or I'm glad I got to experience that and I don't think I don't think I'm alone in that so to the Stadia team or to everyone who worked on Stadia Thank you so much for your hard work. Now, now I wrote a Twitter thread on the day that Stadia shut down, um, which I'm going to read to y'all now. Um, so, so, oh, I'll also link it in the or in the show notes. But the Twitter thread uh, starts with this the day has come in an era where innovations in video games are mostly graphical google stadia offered something different it offered a highly convenient and performant experience of playing video games with truly unique and innovative social features baked into the platform state share stream connect crowd play crowd choice and direct streaming to YouTube were all features that Stadia pioneered as a platform. Stadia set a high benchmark for what a cloud gaming experience should be. Cloud gaming wouldn't be where it is today without Stadia. Yes, I wish it had better content. Yes, I wish Google C-suite execs saw the same potential the community did in Stadia and backed it up with additional funding. Yes, I think Google could have done a far better job of marketing Stadia, but that didn't take away from how much I enjoyed Stadia. The platform and community introduced me to some fantastic content creators, which are the good people over at Gaming Source Network, Shout out to you, uh, Chase, the gaming advocate. Shout out to you, etc. Who I've had the honor of collaborating with, and I'll forever be grateful for that. As we enter a video game industry where prices are increasing across the board, and certain incumbents are swallowing up more and more of the industry. The loss of Stadia stings even more. I do hope that the innovations Stadia pushed forward can live on in some way in the future. Until then, I'm happy to have taken part in not only video game history, but tech history. Thank you and everyone who worked on you, Google Stadia. And yeah, I think that's a great place to end it on. Let me know what your favorite memories of playing on Stadia were. 
mine were definitely playing Gunsport and Young Souls and playing Judgment on Stadia on the Steam Deck before the PC version came out and beating it. But let me know what your favorite Stadia memories are. Let me know what you or what you think they did good, what you think they um, could have improved on. Let me know on social media or on Discord, and we can continue the conversation there. But yeah, that's going to do it for this segment and this episode. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cells and Circuits podcast. If you liked what you listened to, please give us a rating on the platform that you're listening on. If you're listening on YouTube, please give this episode a like and also consider subscribing to the channel. Lastly, be sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Cells and Circuits. Until next time, I'm Chibeze, signing off.